and welcome to Undercommon Taste. We're back from vacation. Yay! This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. We live on islands of ignorance in a vast black infinite sea. <laughs> I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we have a very special guest, Cassie, the GM for the podcast Lovely Craftians. Cassie, Hello. welcome to Undercommon Taste. Yes, thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love the show. I'm going to go ahead and fanboy for just a tiny little bit here at the front. <laughs> We're not going to talk too much about the show itself because you just wrapped up season four and you are getting ready to do a Q&A on your channel here in a couple of weeks. And so we are going to save all of that for the proper place, <laughs> which, is, which is in the Q&A. But I did want to get that out. I was going to reach out to you last October and we just didn't have anything set up on our end <laughs> yeah. to get ready. So we are very excited to have you here with us tonight. Yeah, well, last October was nuts anyway, so it's probably for the best that we mm -hmm. waited until this year. <laughs> right, yeah. So let's go ahead and start off with some just general introductions. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what the podcast is? Sure. So by day, I'm a technical writer. By evening and weekends and any hour in between, I am the producer and writer and game mistress for the Lovely Craftians, which is an all femme slash female identifying Call of Cthulhu podcast. And awesome. we've been doing that for four years now. And like you said, we just wrapped up our fourth season, which was the story arc that took from like the beginning all the way till now. So it's been a wild ride, but it's been very fun. I have been into horror for as long as I can remember. I distinctly remember my fifth grade teacher taking a book away from me and calling my mom because kids were not supposed to be reading Stephen King and like to a degree. Really? In fifth grade? I know, but it wasn't even the worst ones. So I don't know. I think she was just panicking over nothing. Anyway. Gotcha. Yeah. So I've, I've had my hand in horror stories for about as long as I could get my hands on them. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that, that's some good excitement. And as uh, just that, that teacher breaks my heart. I think <laughs> as long as the students willingly reading, I mean, it would take something pretty severe for me to want to like, no, don't read that, you know, as far as so uh, I didn't read Stephen King in fifth grade, but. I mean, I started. I mean, yeah, Stephen King, I can see depending on the book, some of them yeah. are a little bit geared towards to where they would be inappropriate for a fifth grader. But it's not like, yeah, it's not like you were reading Clive Barker. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> and it wasn't like it, which even as an adult, like, I don't really recommend. I've read it several times, but I do not generally recommend that book to people without this huge list of caveat warnings that they need to know <laughs> before they go into it. And my mom was the one who read the book and handed it to me and was like, yeah, go ahead. It's fine. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that goes into, I mean, we can jump on the politic trains and talk about, you know, banning books in the schools and stuff like that all day. And it's it's just no, no. If a child wants to read, let them read, let them mm -hmm. absorb ideas and then discern which are the good ones and the bad ones. And that's part of education. But OK, soapbox moment over. <laughs> I mean, my wife is a librarian, so you won't hear me complaining about kids reading <laughs> in school. All right. So speaking of content, Lovely Craftians is a Call of Cthulhu actual play podcast. And as we all know, Call of Cthulhu is largely based on the works and mythos of H.P. Lovecraft. And I've read some of your comments pertaining to 
HP Lovecraft and his mythos on your Discord. But I'd like to let you have a moment to open the floor because HP Lovecraft was quite definitively a terrible human being. Yeah. Yeah. He was garbage. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, whenever you're so racist that your racist friends tell you, you need to tone down the racism a little bit. That's a pretty good sign. Yeah, sums up. <laughs> so how do you square using his works in Mythos in the context of current efforts to expand on diversity in the TTRPG sphere? Sure. So we're pretty loud. And it's not just me. The other lovelies are also equally loud about, yeah, he's trash. We don't generally recommend people read the works. We do acknowledge that his influence has been astounding on the horror genre Mm -hmm. and it's hard to get away from and there's a lot there to work with but that's part of the beauty of it i think is because we can say like yeah he's garbage he's trash he's an awful human being a lot of his works like there are gods that we can't even say their names because it's obviously racist and awful but we take those and we spin it so where it's more accessible without being trash I think another part of that, and it was important for me because like, I want my friends to have space in this area that has predominantly been white and generally cishet. This has been a big change, especially over the last four years, I think, yeah, where yeah. it's really widened to be up beyond that just tiny circle. But two of my players are BIPOC, and I'm really hoping that H.P. Lovecraft feels that and is rolling around in the infinite (laughs) cosmos, just hating every second of it. (laughs) So it's just it's a combination of building that space in a genre that was built actively racist and saying, no, we don't like this. We're going to reformat and restructure it so that it's more inclusive and like you can still have horror without that bit of it. You don't need that. I like that. I think too with lovecraft i mean a personal view on this one yes i agree terrible train wreck of a human being i mean from his childhood to his adulthood there's just again a huge train wreck but again too there's not much in the way of a lovecraftian estate at this point so it does make it a lot easier to separate the art from the artist and that's something we've brought up from time to time is how can you do that you you bring up several good points for that as well And beyond that, I think, you know, having other people take something like that and kind of claiming it for themselves and just kind of, I don't want to use the word co-opt it, but, you know, just kind of take over the atmosphere and at the very least defang it, you know, make it not so terrible that the original builder or creator of it's gone and now people can make it what it should be or needs to be at this point. I also love the fact that it is an all-femme cast and contrasting that to the fact that a lot of Lovecraft's works are also very misogynistic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we yeah. can just about power a sun with as fast as he's spinning. So. <laughs> as it should be. Yeah. And like I said, even his childhood growing up, there was a lot of damage and trauma. And there's a lot to unpack when you look at the history of Lovecraft. Again, the man's whole life was just a ruin doesn't excuse it. It does help explain it in a large degree. But yeah, no, there's a lot, a lot there to unpack. All right. Let's move on from the terrible human being now. <laughs> yes, exactly. To the fun game stuff. To the fun game stuff. <laughs> so what sort of media do you tend to draw your inspiration from in a horror TTRPG setting? Boy, that's such a wide 
swat. I feel like I'm a little bit of a crow in that regard where I'm just like, ooh, something shiny in this series here. Yes. Love that. Going to put this over here. Yoink. By contrast, if I see something that I'm like, well, that was not great. I didn't enjoy that. I try to pick apart why I didn't enjoy that and be like, okay, we're going to avoid doing this in my own series. I have a degree and a half in literature. So most of my at least initial media for that is literature. But that's also really spiraled out as I go along. I think right now, and I'd say probably for the last three or four years, Mike Flanagan has had a stranglehold on me as a director and as a writer. Not to say that all his work is perfect, but he is responsible for House of Haunted Hill, Bly Manor, which was devastating. And that was probably where I pulled most of the inspiration for how our lightest season arc went. Okay. Um, so generally, like, if it's slow burn horror that has creepy things happening in the background and becomes inevitable, I'm usually down for it. I also really like Monster of the Week stuff. That's a classic. <laughs> I grew up with like Supernatural and stuff. So I feel like okay. that's, I miss the days in the first season where we yes. were very much Monster of the Week. Yes. <laughs> I have a similar lament that they went from the Monster of the Week format into a linear demonic storyline. When I, see, I think I got, see here, was it season four, the one where it was supposed to end? Season like, five. It was a season five. Okay. Yeah. Because that's where I stopped because I was like, I can't. I'm not going to watch you beat money out of this dead horse. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I continued on for like, I think, three more episodes. And I'm like, nah, it's lost whatever magic it had. But because of that whole original Monster of the Week feel, I loved whenever it came across for a Loki episode because it yeah. had that Ooh. same feel. That would be fun. Now, I have had a hard time trying to get into Supernatural. I've tried to watch it once or twice, and I might have to try it again and just throw subtitles on so I'm forced to read and kind of sink my brain into it because generally something like that winds up becoming background while I squirrel and do something else. That happens. And <laughs> I think eventually they would have had to move away from the monster of the week because they need to have some sort of like connecting tissue for all of it. Yeah. And I experienced the same thing as I was working through the lovely craftians because it's like okay we could do this but why what mm -hmm. is the overall conflict that's going on here and like how long can you keep hunting monsters and just have it be hunting monsters forever without some sort of overarching plot that's going on that's a lot bigger that your characters can uncover as they go right so, as a writer creating that kind of framework is the challenge by and large i think for the most part definitely so Talking about horror, and I mean, obviously, we're Lovecraftian horror, that kind of thing. It, it generally dins with eldritch horror. And I, so many people use so many different things. For you, how would you define eldritch horror? So I'm of the mind that when you do something Lovecraftian, it's really a cosmic horror sort of thing. So okay. the scale is a lot larger than just like, I got a werewolf in my town. It's usually at a really phenomenally either ancient level or okay. on a much larger scale, like a more galaxy devouring kind of scale than just a monster of the week sort of thing. Okay. So Love it's that. bigger, it's older, it's unknowable. So you don't really stop it necessarily. You might stop its cultists. You might be able to distract it or send it somewhere else. But if you're standing in the way of this thing, the chances that you do not survive it are very, very high. 
because it's just like so much bigger than you are. Yeah, you don't defeat it, you divert it. Yeah, you survive it if you're lucky. <laughs> I love that. And I, I like how you talk about, you know, that cosmic scale of things. I think it was a radio program years ago, and it was the concept of, you know, a cosmic horror. And it was talking, and it was like, these creatures aren't necessarily evil. They're amoral because to them, we're like bacteria, insects at the best. We don't even blip their recognition that we exist. We're just things in their way. Yeah. And I'm like, just that whole cosmic indifference was like, it just struck me to my core. It like reminds me how small I am in the universe. It was just like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why it makes it so difficult on like a popular scale for people to connect with because there's not really a reason for it to be doing what it's doing. It just is. And yeah. you just get to deal with it. We've seen it a little bit more successfully done. I'm thinking of stuff like The Lighthouse, which was a trip. Uh, if you go into that one, be ready for it. Um, <laughs> and then there's also Color Out of Space. And again, Nick Cage, which as he embraces his absurdity, I think he's just even better. Um, That's awesome. But they've had kind of a hard time getting a foothold for cosmic horror because I think people want there to be a reason for this thing happening. They want to make sense of it. But yeah. if there's inherently not a reason for it to be happening, they're like, so this is just bad forever? I mean, maybe. That kind of <laughs> reminds me of the scene with, I believe it was Dark Knight Rising, the Batman with Heath Ledger, where he's describing the Joker. And it's like, some people just want to make things burn. Just to, There's no reason. It's just pure chaos. Yeah. Let me introduce you to my friend Entropy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or there is a reason, but we will never comprehend it. It's just yes. not in our capacity as humans with tiny human brains to tackle that sort of It takes more than three enormity. dimensions. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> You're a bad man, Ian. You're a bad, bad man. Uh, well, <laughs> just be glad I didn't say how many dimensions it actually takes. Exactly. So what, in your opinion makes a horror game a horror game as opposed to just a game that is scary? That's a good question. I am of the mind that horror is often tragic and the survivability of it is pretty limited by comparison to a lot of things. And you see it a lot with like the last standing girl narrative in horror movies, especially where like they make it to the end of it, but a lot of people have died to get them there. And I, I think the thing about horror versus like just a jump scare kind of thing is that jump scare is just initial and you're like, oh, okay, cool. You've startled me. You've triggered my fight or flight. But the horror aspect comes in when you realize that that's going to be an ongoing thing. That's not just a one-time deal. Whether that's you have to complete this ritual and until this ritual is done, all of these awful things are going to continue happening or... It Follows was a really interesting movie because you couldn't really get rid of that. You just had to pass it on to somebody else. Ooh. So it is about like a demonic STD, just in case anybody's curious. Oh, but that's um, part of what makes it really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like you don't really beat it. You just have to kind of hope Run for it. the best. You ride it out. And there may not be a happy ending at the end of it. And I prefer for there not to be a completely happy ending in most stories just because... I like that a little bit better. It feels more realistic. I agree. Like a lot of movies, especially with Western culture, I call them Pollyanna endings where, you know, yeah. the thing happens. And I personally love Pyrrhic victories, a victory that, yes, you won, but it cost you so much to get there that you're like, but was it really worth it? Yeah. <laughs> I love those stories. 
in going through horror, I heard this analysis years ago, and I, I bring it up whenever I can, just for me, it was so profound, but it was talking the difference between horror and gothic at the time. And basically, horror was something scary or spooky happens, and you go through and you find out it has a supernatural cause or a magical cause versus a gothic is something scary or spooky is happening, and you find out it's very much a human cause. And so as an example, the people brought up Scooby-Doo. You know, you've got ghosts, you've got monsters come through, but it's always, you know, dude in a mask. So that would be gothic. Inversely, you take Indiana Jones and something crazy or creepy is kind of happening and you go through and at the end of everything, there's really something just outside the kin of humans going on, something spiritual or supernatural. So in this case, by that definition, Indiana Jones would actually fall into a horror category because of that. And I'm like, interesting. That is such a good divide. Yeah, I like that. I also enjoy the fan theory that Scooby-Doo is actually an eldritch abomination, so he could be both. Oh, yes. Yes, that'd be awesome. But I'm also a sucker for, like, kids' creatures actually being terrifying. Like, there's art yeah, of no, Blue from Blue's Clues being like, <laughs> I need all of the clues, Steven. Yes. And they're terrifying. I love that. Um, and of course, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh, yeah, nightmarish. <laughs> I, I actually have the book for Clifford the Big Red God. So, Ooh, give me more. <laughs> which is which is a which does make Clifford into a Lovecraftian cosmic horror. So this is that. awesome. Yeah. Um. There's oh what there's another one written by the same person and I can't remember off the top of my head. And of course those are in on a shelf out that way. <laughs> Just out of reach. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to take a moment and shout out say hello to Penance RPG and Meowish here in chat. Oh hello. Hi. Unfortunately, for playing. some reason or another, despite the fact that we are logged into Twitch and streaming to Twitch, the chat on my computer is saying that I'm not logged in, so I can't actually oh, no. respond to you in Twitch. But I've pulled you up on another device, so I can awesome. chat now if I need to. So, hello, welcome. Yes, thank you. Penance uh, also no. often does a bunch of horror content as well, and we've taken part in some of their Halloween episodes which are always fun but they yes. actually inspired quite a few of my like one shot adventures okay. and a few of our anniversary specials so shout out to penance Woohoo! so do we have active plans for a uh, season five i know we're gonna be back we're gonna be taking kind of a long hiatus because like this is like the end of what i intended for that story to be but I okay. don't I don't know what happens next. And we kind of left it on a note, not to spoil it for anyone, but we left it on a note that kind of leaves it open. Okay. So we will sometime. <laughs> I don't know when. <laughs> Excellent. But it will happen. Because yeah, sometimes you just need a vacation. Yeah. Absolutely. And we've all got other projects to work not on. I thought we would know anything right about that. N no, not at all. Because <laughs> James and I both need a vacation from our vacation. <laughs> you see free time and then it's like oh what free time you've just well, filled yeah, that I can pack more stuff in there what, what is this free time <laughs> of which you speak <laughs> so talking more about horror ttrpgs in general what sort of safety tools and conversations do you need to have with your players when you're going into playing a horror ttrpg that go above and beyond what you would do for a game in a different genre so something like D&D that's a high fantasy game so we've done quite a few panels where we talk about safety, just either me or other lovelies who have participated. And I think for horror games, 
because horror is so subjective and personal, like one person might not be cool with seeing somebody's teeth be weird, but another person may not be bothered by that. So it changes so much from person to person that you have to build those tools in to one, know ahead of time that this is going to be either a hazy kind of yellow zone where you're like, yeah, it's okay, but don't get crazy graphic. And maybe like we cut the scene there. You need to know that this is happening ahead of time, maybe to what you can absolutely not include. And I've broken it down over the years into what we do for pregame, which is going to include stuff like consent forms. You're never going to find racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia, any of like the social based isms. They're not going to be in my games because that's just not fun for anybody. But outside of that, they're very well could be religious trauma. There could be strife between player characters. Frequently there is. And I like to know ahead of time where those traps and pitfalls are so that either we can avoid them or I can give my players a heads up ahead of time. If we're going to have an especially heavy week for a recording, I let them know ahead of time, here's what I'm thinking. This is a scene that we're going to have. You're going to come in conflict with this particular character under this circumstance. I don't know how that's going to go, but I want you to be mentally prepared for it. I've got a lot less cagey about what my players can expect if we're going to be doing something. And then, I like that. And that's a really good wisdom, just kind of keeping everybody up. And so they kind of have an idea of knowing what to expect going in. Yeah. Like you want to traumatize the characters. You do not want to traumatize your players. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You want to avoid that because I've definitely it's happened and it sucks every time. It's so hard to deal with the aftermath of that. Um, and I mean, even just dealing with topics, you know, you've got body horror and you, you past horror, things like that. And then I know even just with Ian and I, like when we were doing our planes walks, some of the planes we were going through, you know, and it's just a muck to get through and everything's depressing and everything's down. And I know Ian and I both were we'd be at the end of the episode and we're like, just like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> we, got, we got nothing after that. It just drains you. Yeah. And I can see that, especially with a horror theme. If you're going to be dealing with trauma, if you're going to be dealing with mental illness or things like that, there are safe ways to deal with that. You know, that whole Ian's brought up where you have the card that someone can just reach out mm-hmm. and touch for any reason. You can end the scene, things like that, knowing beforehand so you can kind of build up a bit of reserve of spoons to, okay, we can get through this. It's okay. You know, being able to call a five minute break, just, hey, I need to step back from the table for yeah. a second. These are all great tools. Yeah. Well, and it helps too if, like, I will occasionally, which, If I know everyone's having a hard week, because we all are friends, like we tell each other what's going on with our lives. But if everyone's having kind of a hard week, we do a like a check in kind of form where they're like, yeah, here's where my mental health is today on a scale of one to 10. Like I'm manageable. I'm not manageable. And then if it's anywhere close to a five, I call it. We're not going to do it this week. It's just not going to happen because I don't want to make this worse for you. And horror often plays on anxiety and it plays on fear and it plays on that sort of mental headspace that's meant to grind you down so i want to make sure like you guys are prepped and ready for this before we jump into it that's awesome i love that as a as a dm that's gives me the feels (laughs) there is a certain amount of horror especially in long form content where hopelessness is a very major component yeah and part of it is Every so often you give them that little glimmer of hope and quite often circumstances come around to where in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the moment, you snuff it out. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, 
Yeah. And the we call it a rat laugh where they do something and I take it away and I'm like, <laughs> now you're doomed. Like, I love doing that, but also I want to make sure that they're cool with like everything that's happening. So we do also have like the pause, full stop, rewind. They're cards basically in Roll20. They have them available. There's a free version, I think, for everyone that you can attach to your games so that somebody can just chuck that card up on the screen and you're like, okay, cool. What's going on? Let's have yeah. this stop. There have been times where I stopped and I was like, okay, I need a minute <laughs> to figure out one, what happens next, but two, to like process what we just went through. Right. And just letting people know that they have that freedom to really do that. That makes the scene so much better because they're comfortable jumping into that abyss that you set up for them if they know yeah. that you're going to catch them or their friends Absolutely. are going to catch them and they're just more willing to put themselves into it. Absolutely. And again, if you're creating that high anxiety environment and a lot of stress, that can tip over into despair relatively quickly. And despair is one of those things that you tend to bring home with you if you don't unload it. And we don't, yeah. again, that's not one of the things you want to send. You don't want to send your players home despairing. No. That's just, no. no. Again. DMs, take care of your players. <laughs> yeah, well, and we've we talked pre-game, we talked in-game. At the end of a game, we've built this like mental mudroom kind of space where players can we give each other stars for amazing performances or great choices or we really liked what you did here. And then we do wishes, which are like, I wish that we could do more of this in the next ones or we do less of this in the next session. And that feedback as a GM is invaluable for me, but it's also nice to hear like where they're feeling and thinking as players. And it gives them that kind of space to kick that dust off before they go and do other things. Plus it gives us time to upload all of our audio and stuff. So <laughs> that's just right. good timing. Yeah. No, I love the care you take as a GM. That's just, again, that's amazing. So that is wonderful to hear. So if we wanted to sum this up in a TLDR thing, we can sum it up as communicate with your players. Yeah. Yes. And players, <laughs> please communicate with your DM. <laughs> yeah. Because like, we won't often know if we've done something bad, especially in a horror game where you're intentionally mm -hmm. doing bad things and putting people in bad situations. Like we won't know something's wrong if you don't say anything. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. bring it up. Everyone should talk. <laughs> Everyone should talk. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving along a little bit. Whenever you're running a game, admittedly, this is a little more difficult to do if you're playing remotely over something like Roll20 as opposed to playing together at a table. Do you tend to use ambiance to enhance the mood? So lighting and scents and all of that sort of stuff? I can't really achieve the sense one, but audio is one of my favorites especially in Roll20 because they have the ability to add like tracks and stuff that you can play oh, yeah. that people can hear. I love doing that, especially if it's going to be something creepy. Like y'all are just going along, minding your own business. It's really dark. You're in the woods. Suddenly you're hearing wolves and I'm not mentioning it. <laughs> and the reaction is really priceless. Why is there boss music playing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I also have a soundboard that allows me to do voice effects. So when an elder god comes into play, there have been several times where I've just hit the FX and talked to my players in that voice, and they wigged out in a good way, oh, but it was awesome. still really startling to them, and their reactions were very genuine, and I was 
incredibly pleased with that. So yeah, even yeah, digitally, there are ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even digitally, there are ways that you can still do it. If you're playing a game like 10 Candles, which I recommend everyone play, it's amazing. But you play and you blow out a candle for 10 rounds until you have nothing. So I highly recommend if anyone's playing that, that they do it and have their own set of candles going. Oh, yeah. Great idea. Yeah. Spook yourself out. And uh, for people listening, Goblin's Corner, I think in 2020, did a series the week of Halloween where they reviewed five different spooky games. And Ten Candles was one of the ones that they did. So if you want more information on Ten Candles, go look up their episode and they go into whole detail about it. Ten Candles is great. That's a I've got a new project maybe in the works. And Ten Candles is one of the bases for that. Nice. Very excited. So I've heard it said from multiple sources. I've gotten it from the guys over at Goblin's Corner. Some of the videos from Seth Skorkowski. One video in particular from Luke over at DM's Lair. And probably a few other locations that I just can't remember names. That in order to have a horror experience that delivers, you really need to have moments of catharsis. So moments where the mood lightens and everybody can just sort of unload everything. The line that sticks with me is, if everything is serious, nothing is taken seriously. Would you agree with that sentiment? Is is that something that, I don't know where that question was going. Um. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, it can't all be a slog because one, that's not fun to play. Two, that's so heavy to have to try yeah. and hold on to the whole experience. Again, Mike Flanagan, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the latest It movie reboots was that it wasn't all horrifying all of the time. There were moments where the kids could just connect with each other and have a little bit of fun and just be children. And they have moments as they're adults where they have nostalgia for those and One, that is a big part of the story itself. But two, just having a moment where you can catch your breath a little bit and breathe and see like the either the beauty or the humor in something, it just is really refreshing and it allows you to continue on with that story. Because otherwise, you get to a point where that despair overwhelms you and you're like, I can't, what's the point of any of this? Yeah, I think, again, as a DM, that is one of those skills that people don't really talk about is, you know, being able to monitor your players, and I get a bit of this as doing tour groups and teaching from time to time, but you know, one, being able to see your player's attention span and where they are with that, because that can shift and change. But yeah, if you're bringing up this kind of horror or this emotional weight all the time, you can very easily desensitize your players. They become jaded. And then you get this weird power creeple. The next thing has to be even bigger and then bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you have things on the table and they're just like, meh. So uh, Oh, we're going to win this one. So you do need those moments to break and kind of pull back. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Exactly. To give them a break, but also to give them a reason to keep doing it. Because if they're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. It's like, okay, well, then let's have a break. We're going to go have a beach episode and everyone's just going to have a good time for a bit. Yeah. Like just and it helps ground the characters too. It, yeah. And then we have a musical episode and everything falls apart. <laughs> oh, I would love to do that, but I do not sing unless someone has <laughs> been very, very bad and we need to punish them. So what was the Avatar episode where they go and they see the players? It's when they're in the Fire Nation. 
Ah, oh, it's the something beach players. But yeah, I mean, even that's a great example of, you know, they're doing all this stuff and then they just have, hey, we're having a beach weekend. Ha ha. Just take a break. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of who the play actors were, where they saw like the terrible version of their lives. I forget what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been a hot minute since I've watched it has been. Avatar. Yeah. So it needs to be on my rewatch list. <laughs> so I've got one last question on my list. James, have you got anything else? No, after that, I think we're rented out. Okay. So. My last question is, what advice would you give someone who is unsure whether or not they want to play in a horror game to allow them to make an informed decision on whether or not they want to actually play? Sure. And I I actually would broaden this up beyond just a horror game, but especially for a horror game. You want to make sure that the GM or the DM, whoever is running the table does have the safety stuff in place. It doesn't have to be as in-depth as what the Lovelies and I do, because we are on a much longer timeline for that. So we have to monitor it a little bit more closely. But for a one shot, you shouldn't be terribly surprised by some of the content. Like you should kind of know ahead of time, roughly this will be like TV rated MA. Is this going to be a PG-13 experience? Is this going to be like generally where am I going to fall in this? And if the DM cares enough to do the consent sheet with you and to like say, okay, we have these tools in place for you to do this safely. Those are kind of like my base. Will I play with these people or not? And if you can say you're like on start playing, which allows people to like hire essentially a DM, you can just join a table and it's with the digital DM and away you go. They have reviews. So if it's not someone that you personally know, you can kind of check up on some of them and see like, yeah, this is going to be cool. No, this is not going to be cool. But I also think you should just dive in safely, but dive in a little bit. Yeah, give it a shot. I like that. All right. Well, I think that pretty well brings us to the end of the interview portion. Now we get into the part that we really enjoy doing, which is the monster (laughs) mashup. Yay! This is where we roll some dice and we create a monster on the fly. So, yay, bot flies. You said fly. (laughs) James has been trying for bot flies for about six months. So, (laughs) (laughs) they're bound to happen eventually. All he needs is a willing accomplice, a willing host. Um, so Cass kind of like the bot fly. <laughs> well, I don't know how willing people who have bot fly infestations are to Granted. actually have a bot fly in them. You know? okay. <laughs> anyway, so Cassie, if you are ready and willing, heck yeah, we're going to start off with a D4 for locomotion. Chugga, 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 chugga. Break into my stash. There you are. Got a two. A two. It runs. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. That's all caps. Got, runs and all got caps. We fast zombies. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> all right. Maybe we might. Next is a D6 roll for what does it eat? Souls. One. Boy. Dice. Inorganic material. Okay. Interesting. Well, we got something that's running or eating soil, we're eating rocks, we're eating silica. Um, we had again, one that we're... ate psychic energy, so... Yeah, it, mm. yeah, that would work. Again, we could throw souls up there. It could eat the cosmic ether, perhaps. You know, if we want to make, you know, a cosmic horror type thing, we have some options. It eats antimatter. Yes. <laughs> oh, that would be destabilizing. Uh, anyway, uh, next is going to be another D6 roll for size. Oh, God. Okay, that one's to the cats now. <laughs> That's a four. A four, it is large. What do we okay. constitute as large? We're using the D&D monster scale, so between Perfect. 8 and 15 feet. Nice. 
That's a good size. Yeah. Uh, next is a D8 for social organization. Oh, please run in a pack. That's an eight. Eight is a horde. 100 <gasps> plus. Yay. I love that. Oh, and they're so tall or wide. So I'm kind of thinking in the last of the Dresden novels, you had the Shadowhounds, the Corner <gasps> I forget what exactly yeah. what they're called. Corner creatures. Yeah. Something like that. The summon, they're made of shadow. Oh, I like that. Okay. I think in most cases, I think the Malks, the Grimalkin, I think they would mm. probably constitute about that size too. Would they? I thought they were more human size, but uh, yeah, I guess the yeah. run of the mill Malks. Yeah, the okay. the the big ones like the, the Cat Eld- Sith was yeah, Cat Sith was uh, yeah, he was definitely bigger. Yeah, he was definitely a large size. Anyway, continuing on, next is a D10 roll for native environment. That's a seven. Seven. It lives in the hills. Nice. I like this. This is still leading to something that could very much be a shadow type monster. Yeah. Something that comes in and out. Of, Some fae you know, type yeah. creature. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, shadow fae. Yeah. And that also fits into sort of a Lovecraftian vibe. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I like trying to keep the monsters sort of thematic to our guests a little bit sometimes. So that'll work. Yeah. Next is a D12 or method of defense. That is a six. Six. It has horns. Interesting. So something that kind of like the Jersey Devil, perhaps kind of go a little cryptid on this. I like it. I do love a Jersey Devil. <laughs> I think, too, with this method of defense, especially for going something more ethereal, it could look like I mean, when it comes into the physical realm, sure. But I think more it could also be just more presentation, perhaps. So kind of like that woods devil, maybe the inorganic thing, maybe it feeds on emotion or fear. We've got some more roles coming up, but especially if it's something that can like disorient a player or a person in the woods. So they always feel kind of turned around. So they have that lost feeling constantly. Like the ritual monster, but in a hundred form. Yeah. Touching back on Dresden files, the unseelie unicorn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's a good yeah. one. Or even if each shadow is part of this monster, and so each of it, the horde is the various shadows created by this forest or this woodland. Because again, you look at the shadows, especially towards Twilight, and they would stretch to that large size. I like it. Okay. So we're talking more something like the Vashta Narada from... I'm not familiar with From Doctor Who, the shadow in the library. Yes, yes, exactly. Silence in the library remains my favorite Doctor Who episode of all time. Because it is just an emotional juggernaut. The, yes. You never thought that ice cream could ever make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> if you want ice cream to make you cry, watch Silence in the go. Library. <laughs> okay, now we are going to really solidify sort of what this thing is. Another D12 roll for creature type. That's a four. A four? What evens tonight? It is a construct. Ooh. Interesting. So it's somebody else's creation that's running around. I like it. And again, this could definitely go to some sort of outsider beyond the realm type thing. And these could just be minions. Oh, yeah. yeah. Getting a foothold. Okay. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Have either of you listened to the podcast Old Gods of Appalachia? Mm-hmm. I've started to, but I'm not, I haven't been able to sink okay. into it yet. Even if you're only a few episodes in, you may have met this individual. The spirit known as horned head not yet but so, it sounds great oh, is a large black stag with gore 
encrusted hooves and a rack of antlers made of amber. Oh, nice. So with what we've got so far, that is sort of the aesthetic feel that I'm picking up a little bit. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Um, He's not really... uh, I mean, it's, it's not really fleshed out too much whether or not he is a construct. He is definitely per lore subservient to a greater power so he may be a subservient spirit that has constructed this body Mm -hmm. yeah so that might be sort of the vibe that we're going with i don't know we got a couple rolls left so we still have time to solidify this all right next roll is going to be a d20 roll for quirks oh natty one Uh, and lift 20 times their body weight that's what you want with something that's large and in a horde, right? You want them yeah. to be really, really strong. I like it. But if they're made of shadow, that kind of makes it a little weird, too. I mean, I'm, I'm, how much physical mass do they have? Well, and is it in this reality or do they Are have they... an actual physical mass in a different one? Exactly. I mean, what if they create kind of like a dreamscape, in which case they can just like, you know, because again, I mean, if it's something that would disorientate somebody in a wood or something like that, that would make a lot of sense. And now they go and the whole wood's been shifted when the person kind of comes to. Mm. Yeah, I think that could be usable. I like it. Okay. All right. And now we make it weird. Yay. (laughs) So can I get a D100 roll, please? Absolutely. The home dice. That's a 74. 74. Well, is considered good luck and the locals avoid hurting them at all costs. Oh, so what if it's a guardian spirit? Yeah, that's what I was Something thinking. Kind of like along the lines of Princess Mononoke. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like the Kodoma, except they're freaking huge. <laughs> and if they only come out at twilight, you really wouldn't see them very often. So seeing yeah. them would be a good thing, though. An outsider so, may not know that and they might see exactly. it and try to hurt it. And so, yeah, it's perfectly great. Good luck to the locals, but to an outsider, it's going to, it's going to mess terrifying. their thing up pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, because step one is, it initiates that fight or flight response. And if you choose wrong, boy, you're about to have a bad day. Oh, bad, bad day. <laughs> because it can also lift 20 times its body weight. Yes. Yeet. Oh, just straight yeet someone out the forest. That'd be awesome. Just get out. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to borrow the phrase from the fat electrician, yeetus deletus. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. And because we live by the rule of chaos, James, do you want to roll the second time or you want me to roll? I'll roll. Let me okay. I have my dice out and everything. Let me see here. I have them out, just not ready. Shame on you, sir. I know. 18. 18. Doubles its movement speed if subjected to a sudden loud noise. This makes me feel like they're an isolated village. And if somebody came in with like a gun or something, that would be a bad time. That would be a very bad time. I'm almost thinking going woodland instead of going something like Appalachia, which I mean would be great. I mean, we've talked about that. What if it's something kind of like the Amazon and it's very much like a nature spirit. And so these people are coming in trying to like deforest. Yeah. And they're just like, nope. And so maybe it's the equipment they yeet out and they leave the people in there. And then the people, you know, are definitely like WTF and it starts messing with their heads because it's feeding off of that energy. Yeah, I like it. Now it is its native environment is hills, not woods. Hills. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, it could still, still fly. Yeah. yeah, 
But I'm thinking something a little more along the lines of maybe like the Ozarks. Okay. Oh, yeah, that, that would work. work. And again, you could still have something where they're coming through trying to clear or log. And it's like, nope, this is my grove. <laughs> yeah, mining would be a big yeah. one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the strip miners come through and they're just like, nope. <laughs> yeah, because all that heavy equipment. Yeah. Oh, and then, too, if it's the Ozarks, because that kind of puts you towards the whole tornado belt. So you get those really nice thunderstorms that come through. Oh, and, and they just go super nuts. Then. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so uh, so sometimes the tornado damage is not from a tornado. Yeah, it's just yeah. them like just going, yeah, I love it. Awesome. It's like the worst dog reacting to a thunderstorm ever. <laughs> That's awesome. It just tears up an entire three mile swath. Well, now so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that some people that I might be playing with next week aren't listening. I want this to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and recap what we rolled. It runs. It feeds on inorganic material. So did we settle on what that is? Is that like psychic energy? Is that... It could be psychic energy. It could be just the loam and dirt of the area. It could be the stones and rock. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that. Actually, for like a guardian spirit. Spirit. That yeah. makes more that sense. That makes a whole lot more sense because the earth is going to stay. It is going yes. to be constant. It is going to be something that they have access to that they don't have to worry about it going away yeah Yeah. and it gives them something to protect yeah yeah it is large in size they exist in a horde of 100 plus did we decide that that was a horde of spirits within the large body or is it actually a horde of large bodies i like the idea that it's a horde of large bodies if we're going to put it somewhere so, something like something like the stone heads of Easter Island. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, or like a temple full of foo dogs. Okay. Yeah. yeah that'd be kind of cool. Sort of that sort of feel. Okay. Native environment is the hills. Uh, its method of defense is horns. Its creature type is construct. Its quirk is that it can lift 20 times its body weight, which if it's made out of rock, that's a, that's a, that's a whole lot of lifting. That's whenever you come out to the job site in the morning and the <laughs> D9 dozer is flipped over on its roof. And like, no one saw what happened. Hmm. Is considered good luck and the locals avoid hurting them at all costs. Okay. And they double their speed whenever they hear loud noises. I like it. So now is the hardest part of this. What are we going to call it? I kind of want to do something and you guys can easily veto me on this because it will definitely increase the difficulty of naming this thing. But since we talked about, you know, maybe during the storms, it looks like the tornado damage came through there. So it needs like two or three F's in the name. So it can be like an <laughs> F2 or F3 type thing. Cute. I like it. If we wanted to go full Dr. Seuss, we can call it a fiff or feff or feff. And well, that's what it like. Yeah. Like, like an F9. <laughs> don't even go that high. I'm great with that name if you want to go for that. No, that's... no, we are not naming it after something from Dr. Seuss's ABCs. Uh, I have a four year old. Could you tell? Oh. It's not the fluffer nutter. <laughs> I don't think there's anything fluff. About this particular creature. It's big. It's fluffy. It's not like soft fluffy. It's Gabriel Iglesias fluffy. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Um, So let's nail down physical appearance for a second. So how is this large body going to look? Is it a 
stone statue? Is it a wooden like totem? Is it because it is a construct, which implies that it started from a material that was worked by someone or something into a form. So where do we want to go with that? Because that will greatly inform it would the naming. Um, I don't know. It wouldn't be Ozark. So it would definitely be like far northern like Inuit. And I don't know if it's appropriate to use the term or not. And if it's not, please flag me on that. But like the um, old totem pole type things, you know, where they were the spirits and the guardians of the tribe or the village. And maybe these are constructs like that. And so like you have like different pockets of the settlement there and these things are carved. And then when they need to come alive for their protection thing, that's when they kind of get up and move. So they could be large carved wooden type things. And otherwise they look like statuary, except when they become active. I like the idea that they could be carved on top of each other and just like standing in a much taller structure and then come alive. That would scare the shit out of me. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like Autobots roll out. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of... <laughs> yeah. Because just imagine that one on the top, just deciding to leave the top by the most expedient path and that and, could be a... and, <laughs> and land in your general vicinity. I was going to say that could be a great story hook too, is, you know, it's there and like maybe two or three of the pieces of one of these structures has just gone on walkabout and nobody knows why. Yeah. It suddenly got shorter. Yeah. Okay. So we're, so we're definitely it? thinking wooden. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Okay. Which that makes it, if it's a low meter, that makes a little bit more sense too because that's where mm-hmm. they get all yeah. their nutrients from anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah. Definitely, like I said, some sort of native or almost shamanistic magic built into them. Or I could... I've got an idea now that we're talking about wood. What okay. if <laughs> What if it's topiary? That Ooh, could be fun. That could be fun. It'd be harder to see if you're going through the woods if they just have yeah. it suddenly carved out. I would want to see that in suburbia, personally. <laughs> Giant topiary T-Rex eating people. <laughs> That'd be fun. It would be harder to pull off in a natural like hill yeah. type environment. Yeah. I think uh, it was just but it was just a fun idea. I, we definitely need some suburban topiary going <laughs> running amok. That'd be great. Yeah. Giant boxwood monsters running around eating people. I'm for it. Okay. Mm. But yeah, I think having it carved from a large piece of wood or maybe like even as part of the ritual, it is carved from a living tree. So they actually carve it from the top of the tree. And so that's how it continues to feed is feeding oh, like through that. the roots of the tree. That's a really solid idea. I like that. A and lot. it would continue to grow for as yeah. long as it was still living. Okay, I'm going to cheat here a second. Give me a moment. I'm going to try to look up like rivers in the Ozark Mountain, maybe for a name. There you go. Okay. That's not cheating. That's using your resources. These are very boring. I thought we'd have something less English defined. You know what, though? The 11 point river, these things could be 11 points since they have horns. We don't get the F thing on them, but we've got Current River, Jack's Fork, Mulberry River, Buffalo National River, Mississippi River, 11 point river, White River, Arkansas River, Bull Creek. Trying to see what else we can dredge up here. Yeah, I'm just Google. I'm having trouble finding that initial spark of inspiration for yeah. where to go to get a name on this one, because the monster itself is cool. I love the monster. It's just I can't figure out where I want to go with it. Here's an underground spring named the Gasconde, which is kind of cool, and they have black and white rivers, so you could have a black and white Gasconde. Interesting. It's got a good 
weighty feel to it. And again, this keeps it still North America. We could try to branch out, maybe get some good German hard syllables in there or something. <laughs> Another thing that I want to try and avoid is actually using Native American words American in yeah. the name because I don't have the context yeah, for the not name. Appropriate. That yeah. is fair. And so I, I would feel very uncomfortable going down that road. Okay, no, um, that is fair. Let's look at Trees of the Ozark. Oh, yeah, that's a good call, too. I mean, basically what this thing is, is a wooden... Hawthorn. We can just call them Hawthorns. Oh, I like that, because then it plays off of the horns that they have anyway. Yeah. They're hot, H-A-W-T, horns. <laughs> hot horns. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Okay, yeah. I like that yeah. it's also misleading, because you could just be talking about the trees, but no, yeah. you're not actually talking about it just the, the trees. The Hawthorns keep the village safe, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But what I was going to say is they're basically gargoyles. They yeah. serve that function. Yes. But they definitely have a different sort of feel to it. It's, it's a very, it's a much more natural feel to it. I like that too. And I like, you know, again, if people were like logging or harvesting resources, you go out, but you don't touch the hawthorns. And so people think it's just the trees and not necessarily the, the creatures themselves. Yeah. 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 And I can, I can definitely see where outsiders coming in would get the wrong understanding. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love that misdirection. Build that in. Yeah. That's, that's good. (laughs) That was, that was a good call, James. Thank thank you. Every once in a while, I get a good one. It, it took us <laughs> it took us almost ten minutes to get there, but we yeah, got you there. know yeah, that's the important so, part. That's, that is the important part. Okay, I think that wraps up what we've got creature wise. One of the other things that we love to do when we have guests on is to have them give a shout out to someone else in the community. It can be another podcast, uh, musicians, artists, map makers, whatever. Someone else in the TTRPG sphere. Who would you like to give a shout out to tonight? Okay, so I was like going back and forth on this. Like, I wasn't entirely sure who to pick, but uh, you can pick of more the than Seven one. Dice. You can pick more oh, than that's one if gonna you need be, to. That's going to be a long, long list. Um, <laughs> okay. So okay. I'm going to go with Ballad of the Seven Dice. They have a new campaign that is starting that is actually like, there are two DMs for it, telling stories Ooh. in separate settings with separate game systems, but they're interwoven. And I'm oh, like so that. excited to see what that winds up being. And that is going to, I'm looking up the name here so I don't screw it up. I think I just saw that one. Escaping Carcosa. It yes. premieres tomorrow. And that is at 4 p.m. Central Time for the first episode over on Twitch. So that's awesome. going to be my recommendation. When we first started the podcast, I think they were one of the first groups that we made friends with. And Lucas, the DM, is just a great human being and they and they've person. and they've made a couple of guest appearances on your show too have they not oh yeah they famously they played bernard busybody but he makes appearances in a lot of other people's podcasts too he played nelvin bland the forever intern and yes. he played dr fabio the extraterrestrial who ate stress so Ooh. he was the best and also worst therapist yes. <laughs> awesome his job was to make you as stressed as possible and then eat it all. Yeah, so you felt good, but I don't know if there was any healing that actually happened. <laughs> but if you heal entirely, then he doesn't have food. So yeah. Right, no, yeah. All right. And then finally, 
before we sign off for tonight. We want to open the floor and let you plug you. And so where can we find you? Where can we find your stuff? The floor is yours. So you can find me. Probably the best place is going to be on Twitter. It's at lovelygm underscore Cassie. I'm in a couple of other podcasts. I've recently joined the Multiclass Theater Group as one of their regular players for their fourth season that just started or is about to start. I think it just started. I'm not editing in that capacity, so I'm not as on top of the release <laughs> schedule. <laughs> Must be nice. And then I'm, I know, I almost didn't know what to do with my hands when I first started. Because <laughs> it's like, I don't have to do any of this. Sweet. <laughs> I'm also on PTRPG stream called That Which Can Eternal Lie. And that is on the Real Women of Gaming channel. And I also just randomly stream here and there. I'm not consistent in any capacity. So following the <laughs> Lovely Craftians Twitter is probably the best place to do that. Well, Cassie, thank you so very much for joining us tonight on Undercommon Taste. It has been a blast. Yes, yeah. this has been a really fun interview. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And thank you to the six or seven people that we had show up in chat. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, guys. I think that may be a record for the number of people we have had Oops. in chat <laughs> for one of our interviews. So thank you very much, all of you. And thank you, everyone who is going to be listening to the podcast whenever we release this on Wednesday. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under commentaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through a Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, and YouTube. Just search under common taste. We are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash under common taste. That's where we put all of our write-ups. We are still in the process of restructuring because I didn't get to that during our vacation like I was supposed to. <laughs> As I said, we need a vacation from our vacation. Um, but we will be starting to put more content up onto our Patreon again. That's where whenever we get our Hawthorns written up, that's where we are going to be putting that right up. And finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to our Discord in the show notes. And we would love to have you come over and chat with us. Yes, absolutely. If this is your first time listening to us, again, thank you. Welcome. We're very happy you found us. Uh, you can find us wherever you catch your podcasts. So as always, please subscribe and try to give us a rating and a comment. It helps increase our visibility and it lets us know what kind of content you want to hear more of. Stay safe, everyone. And we will see you in two weeks right here on Twitch. Whenever we have another guest, Goblin Archives, coming on to talk about their game, Liminal Horror. Amazing. Happy gaming, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Undercommon Taste. You can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willex underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at deviantart.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.